Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Steve Cade. Steve is a partner in Foley's Chicago office, focused on transactional matters that include mergers and acquisitions, commercial transactions, and securities. In this discussion, Steve walks us along his professional path, a path that started in Kansas City, Missouri. We talk about what it was like growing up in Kansas City and how his parents and sister served as his professional role models, leading to him knowing that he wanted to be a lawyer even when he was just in high school. But Steve also talks about how in high school he played football, but decided not to pursue it at the collegiate level. Steve then goes on to highlight how it was that he decided to go to Northwestern for law school and what it was like being one of few Northwestern law students who did not have years of prior work experience. Next, Steve discusses his time at Foley. He shares about his practice, and he also does a fantastic job at describing Foley's people-focused culture and gives some wonderful examples of how the firm really supported him on his path to partnership. Finally, Steve gives some fantastic advice to law students about making the most of your time in law school. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. So let's just dive right in and have you give your professional introduction. Sounds good. My name is Steve Cade. I'm a corporate attorney. I've been with Foley and Lardner for about 12 years now. My practice specializes in M&A transactions, complex commercial transactions, and venture finance transactions. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so I usually start these with asking where the person is from, which is what I just told you I was going to do before we started recording. But I just have to say, let's start this by saying, I think we are the same JD year. So I'm class of 2008. Are you class of 2008? I am class of 2008, yes. So had I practiced at Foley and not left practice, <laughs> we were the same summer associate year, except that I was at Foley my 1L summer and you were at Foley 2L. I think we met each other for like two weeks, maybe, when I came back that 2L. That's correct. Yeah. And so when I was actually a summer associate at Foley, I had split my time with another law firm. So I was only there for the first half of the summer. And I believe you came for like, you know, a victory lap, you know, second half of the summer type thing. So I think we overlapped maybe like, you know, a week, a day or two, you know, who knows. But so we missed each other. And I, I only say that because for me, it's always interesting people who graduated from law school at the same time as me. I see them as in this parallel universe of had I kept practicing. So anyway, we will now make this about you and less about my. <laughs> by not being a partner right now. And let's just jump in, Steve. Okay, so sure. where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, so I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up uh, mostly in a suburb of Kansas City, east of the city called Blue Springs, Missouri. And that's, you know, most of my family's from Kansas City. You know, my parents are both from Kansas City. My grandparents on my mom's side are from Mississippi. Uh, my grandparents on my dad's side, they're from Oklahoma. And his mom um, is actually from Ohio. Okay. So 
uh, a lot of Midwest roots on my dad's side, uh, Southern roots on my mom's side, but most of the family on both sides actually made their way to Kansas City during the Great Migration, where most African Americans were traveling from the South, yeah, to North, and they settled in Kansas City. It was really my uh, my granddad's uncle. Uh, My granddad was one of ten kids. And his older brother moved to Kansas City to work for the railroad. And so then he followed up with his wife, which is my grandmother, to Kansas City to work for the railroad also. And that's where they settled and Kansas City became our home, at least on my mom's side. All right. I always profess my ignorance on these podcasts. So why should I stop now? (laughs) You said (laughs) Kansas City, Missouri. That's a very important distinction. It is. And that's why I'm, I'm just making sure Kansas City, Missouri. Correct. And not Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas. That is correct. <laughs> so I think another mutual friend we may share is, I think Sylvia Winston. You probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I went to her wedding many years ago. Okay. Had, and that was my first and only time in Kansas City. Okay. And I had a little mishap with uh, a dress arriving. I actually like rented a dress and it was supposed to be delivered to the hotel and it did not show up. I was there maybe five hours before the wedding started, and I ended up going on this adventure between Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri, to like every Nordstrom and Nordstrom's rack in the area. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I have one of those movie montage where you're just like trying on dresses. But that was where I developed what small appreciation I have for the fact that, oh, yes, these are, in fact, two different towns or cities that are very close together. Absolutely. Yeah. They're just separated by the river, the border, frankly. Right. And then you claim the mantle of Midwest, which I think you are, but I just think of it as less Midwest than the Illinois, Wisconsin. No. Yeah. Look at the map. We're slap dab in the middle. We are the Midwest. But you mentioned this Southern slash Midwest dynamic. So would I, and I say all this to learn a little bit more, tell me a little bit more about Kansas city, like growing up there. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to ask like, what kind of kid were you or what was childhood like, but tell me more things about it. Yeah. So, I mean, Kansas is interesting. It's a pretty simple town. Kansas City is definitely one of those cities um, where people, uh, they love their sports teams, right? So, you know, I think you can see my background. I have like the Chiefs and my, you know, Kansas City Royals uh, paraphernalia. But, you know, people in Kansas City, they love their sports teams. You know, they love their barbecue. We're really big on barbecue. So we have a lot of really nice barbecue spots. And, you know, that's a point of contention amongst Kansas City. That is the regret of my. Oh, wait, I did get barbecue. Sorry. The day after the wedding, had barbecue. Because you have to try barbecue wherever you are. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's Kansas City. I mean, there's only a few things to do and, you know, barbecue is certainly one of them. So, yeah, yeah, so people love barbecue. Kansas City is a city of fountains. And, you know, I I would just say that Kansas City, you know, it's not a cow town by any means. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, they definitely have, you know, a large sprawling downtown and they have a lot of different industries, a lot of different professionals, but Kansas City is very decentralized. So it's made up of a lot of different suburbs. So Kansas City proper itself is actually not all that big at all. But when you look at the Kansas City metro area, it's it's, it's pretty large as far as, you know, cities go. Yeah. And that's essentially where you grew up. That's exactly. And what was the name of the the town again? You already said it, but say it again. Blue Springs. Blue Springs. Got it. See, I have to to clarify this, but the other reason... I ask, or one of the reasons I ask is because we have law students, we have our colleagues listening to this podcast, and we're from all over. Right. And so a lot of times there's someone who's like, I'm from Kansas City too. That's so great. Steve is repping for Kansas City or somebody else. You also get as someone, I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder as someone who grew up in the Midwest, but went to uh, college on the East Coast. I would say where I was from and people would be like, oh, 
Right. <laughs> the whole, like you said, it's not a cow town. I mean, growing up in Wisconsin, doesn't matter if you say Milwaukee, it's like, oh, right. I'm aware of New York. I'm aware of California. I have no idea what's in between. <laughs> you know, I experienced the same thing, went to law school. I went to law school at Northwestern. And you would think Northwestern being in Chicago, that people would be more familiar from the Midwest. But Northwestern is a very national school. So you get people from the East Coast, you get people from the West Coast, and they come to Chicago, and they just have no idea about the Midwest at all. Yes, you know, so yes, they've maybe heard of Chicago before. Right, exactly. They've heard of <laughs> Chicago, but they certainly don't know anything about Kansas City. They think that cows are still roaming the streets, and you have tumbleweeds that are just, you know, rolling down the streets as well. It was just, it was very interesting to me, particularly because, and you know, I'm sure we're going to get to this, but you know, I, I went to Iowa State for undergrad. And so coming from Kansas City, Missouri, right, where all my family is, I knew Kansas City like the back of my hand. Like, you know, I kind of felt like I was more of a city guy because Blue Springs, first of all, was like very close to Kansas City. So I was in Kansas City all the time. And then when I got to Iowa State, you know, people just basically, you know, I told them I'm from Kansas City and they're, you know, most people from Iowa State, you know, they're from Iowa, right? And they're from farms and they're not from, you know, big towns. And so they look at me and they think, oh, wow, you're from the big city. So from my perspective through, you know, undergraduate and then going to Chicago, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a big city just like Chicago. I'm cosmopolitan. And they were like, no, you're not. No, absolutely not. not. No, absolutely not. And I found that, I mean, very quickly. Right. And, you know, I mean, I always used to say that Kansas City is like a miniature version of Chicago when I, you know, when I first got to Chicago. And it, I mean, it, it really is, but it's a very, very miniature you know, version of Chicago. Chicago is large, you know. I see the same thing about Milwaukee, actually, because geographically, it's also very similar. Same lake. Right. Similar, like there's a south side, there's north side, there's west side, all of that. All right. And we're going to close the gap. But before we get to Iowa State, so what's that transition like for you in terms of, I don't know if it's middle school or high school, if you can think back, and I, I ask most people this now, like, did you think you wanted to be a lawyer? Like, what was Steve Cade, the, I don't know, the 14-year-old version of you thinking his life was going to be? Right. So, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I think it shows how impressionable kids are and how influenced they are by their, you know, immediate environment. Because growing up, so my mom um, is an educator. Uh, my mom was a principal and the assistant superintendent for the Kansas City, Missouri School District for a number of years. And so, you know, obviously education was very important in our house. And I used to like math. And so I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'll be a math teacher. You know, my mom's in education. I like math. Okay, I'll be a math teacher. My dad uh, is a businessman. He worked for Honeywell Incorporated for a number of years. And then he left Honeywell and worked for Johnson Controls for, you know, maybe five or six years after he had left Honeywell. And he was always in business development. So he was, you know, doing deals and growing up, I used to watch him like get dressed in his like power suits and his briefcase. And I was just like that, you know, he is the man, like he is yes. the man. Yes. I love that. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll be a business guy, you know, and I like numbers still because the whole math connection. So maybe I'll be like some sort of like finance guy or something, you know, that, that was just cool. I just like, I just love the way he like presented himself, you know? Yeah. And then you know, my sister, I don't know where she got this idea from, but she always wanted to be a lawyer. And so she was just like, oh, you know, you know, people ask, you know, what are you going to do, you know, when, when you grow up? And, you know, it's like, well, she wants to be a lawyer. And I'm just like, oh, I want to be, you know, maybe a math teacher. I don't know. Maybe I want to be a business guy or maybe I want to be a lawyer. Right. So like all these people in my household, you know, I was just basically parroting what, you know, they did or they wanted to do. But that's what you saw. <laughs> right. What is the phrase? It's like, do you have to see it to be it or something like that? Right, so literally exactly. you're like, I see an educator, right. I see a businessman. This other person brought in lawyer, so okay, let's toss that in. <laughs> Roll with that one also. Yeah, I'll just make a, you know, big amalgamation of everything, right? I'll just I'll just do it. 
And so, so that's where it came from. Really, um, you know, I, you know, my sister, she wanted to be a lawyer. She wanted to be a specific type of lawyer too, which was like very interesting at, you know, somewhat of a young age, you know, she was in high school. She knew she wanted to be a labor and employment lawyer. You know, she liked, I don't know where she got that from, to be honest with you, but she wanted to be a labor and employment attorney. I kind of followed her footsteps, wanted to be an attorney. I like the math aspect. So I said, okay, well, I like the math. I like the business. So I think I'll be a corporate attorney. I had no idea what a corporate attorney meant. I, I did. Amazing. I just need to stop for one second. The fact that you just said that. So how old do you think you are at this point? This is high schoolish. Yeah, this is high schoolish. Yeah, so I'm probably you know maybe like a sophomore, you know, okay. junior in high school. I'm thinking, okay, this is you know outside of you know going to the NFL, right? Like all kids, you know, wanted to have that profession. But outside of that, I mean, that that was pretty much it at the, at yeah. the time. By the way, did you were, did you play sports at all? Were you into athletics in high school? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. So I, I played football and baseball, um, really enjoyed those. Um, you know, I thought I was going to play in college and, you know, I got to my senior year and said, no, I'm done with sports. I, I don't want to play sports anymore. Mm. And then after my senior season in football, I said, oh man, I kind of want to play sports, but they have certain deadlines that you have to apply for NCAA eligibility. And I basically missed all those deadlines, particularly for getting scholarships. I was re- getting recruited by like a number of Division two schools, um, you know, Division one, double A schools, but I wasn't really getting recruited by like, you know, D1, like big schools. And I always wanted to go to a D1 big school. And so I started to get that itch again. Oh man, I kind of want to play. Like, you know, what can I do here? So I basically reached out to all the big schools that I had applied to and said, you know, hey, what's up with me playing on your football team? And basically the only school that like, you know, responded, you know, anything seriously was Iowa State. And Iowa State basically said, you know, hey, you know, obviously, you know, you missed the deadline for all these, you know, various things to do to, you know, get into the program. But, you know, we're, we're interested in what we'll do is we'll we'll actually make you a what they call a preferred walk-on. So you don't get a scholarship, mm-hmm. well, not for tuition, but you get, you know, like room and board and some other kind of, you know, similar perks that come along with being a, a scholarship athlete. So I said, that works, you know. So I, I went to Iowa State and, and visited it. and. I was really impressed because I was like, oh, man, Iowa State is extremely diverse. I got there and there were just all these black people walking around with their like letter jackets because, you know, from Greek fraternities and things like that. I'm just thinking like, wow, I I had no idea Iowa State. I had no idea. You're saying this right now. I had no idea. It's it's not true. I I would say, I'm sorry, it's not diverse. I must have caught them on some sort of like Greek week or something like that. I don't know. Or or maybe I just happened to find all of, you know, the black people congregating in one area. coming. Go, go. Everybody go now. By the time I left Iowa State, I was like, this, this, I was like, this makes sense. It's like I was way more diverse than I thought. You know, they're telling me that I can come play on their football team. Like the campus is beautiful. It was a beautiful day. Like it was just all these signs, you know. I applied to mostly schools in the Big 12. Being from Kansas City, that's kind of Big 12 country. And I applied to a few schools that are outside of the Big 12 also. Some, you know, some like Ivy League schools and things like that. And, but, you know, for me, I, I just wanted to go and have a kind of standard college experience. I wanted to go to a big, large four-year, four-year institution, university, get a bunch of different, you know, perspectives. And just Central you know, college. You it, wanted that. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it, it just seemed, you know, 
it, it made sense at the time. And so I get to Iowa State, and then I realize, you know, all the scholarship athletes and football players, they've been bonding together for, you know, weeks, right? I'm kind of an outsider. I'm certainly going to be redshirted. And then I realize I'm not going to see the light of day on the field until maybe my, like, senior year, and I'm likely going to be some sort of just, you know, special teams player, right? I'm not going to be, you know, the starter in the offense of the defense. I'll be some sort of, like, you know, guru. And in between that time, I'll probably just get beaten up beat up a lot. So then at that point I said, okay, maybe football isn't, you know, for me. Like I knew I want to go to law school and also like college athletics is like literally a full-time job. And I wanted that quintessential college experience, which meant, you know, hanging out and doing, you know, fun things and partying. And, you know, I knew I was going to law school. So, you know, that, that, that was pretty much the end of the college, you know, football experiment. It, it, it ended very, very quickly. <laughs> that is so interesting. And I'm so happy that I asked because I think for everybody, particularly when you start hitting, oh, I, I just pick up, pick some age, mid thirties, forties, whatever. We only see each other in these really professional capacities and maybe not so much right now. Cause you and I are both wearing like sweatshirts, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you get what I'm saying. And so I just, I think it's really interesting to hear about some of the other inputs during those formative years, because I truly believe uh, they help craft who we become, right? Like there's things you learned playing sports in high school and starting in, in college that for whatever reason, likely affect the way you view the world, right? Whether right, it's about absolutely. hard work or whatever. So I, I really appreciate you elaborate, elaborating on that. It's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You do get to Iowa and you're still, you're like, okay, the football thing's not happening, but I'm heading to law school. So you knew that from the beginning, it sounds like. Yeah, from jump. Yeah, from from jump. I did. I, you know, and I didn't do too much to kind of prepare for that. I really started preparing for law school, I want to say, maybe the end of my sophomore year, because I actually had a professor um, in the College of Business who was a, uh, he was a professor of management, who was a lawyer. And he had always started referencing his experiences as a lawyer. And then something kind of clicked in my head. You know, my, my sister had gone through and taken the LSAT and she had applied for law schools. And so she was actually starting at Northwestern the next year. And so, you know, I knew I had to go through that whole process, but I really didn't start the, you know, it didn't start to click for me until I was, again, in this class with this one professor. And he essentially, you know, kind of turned me on to, okay, maybe I need to start doing stuff to prepare. And this guy really seems like he had an interesting background. So let me kind of pick his brain and, um, you know, see where this leads. Um, his name is Jeffrey Kaufman. And I basically went up to him and said, you know, you know, hey, I'm, I'm interested in being a lawyer one day. And he was like, oh, okay, well, you know, if you are, then why don't you, um, you know, help me in this kind of research capacity? And so, you know, it, sure, why not? So I helped him do a little bit of research, got to know him a little bit uh, better. And then next, you know, I started my, you know, whole journey of becoming a lawyer by studying for the LSAT and doing the applications and things like that. All right. Sophomore year, you have this essentially amazing mentor. And it's funny, as I listen to you, I'm sitting here a little incredulous being like, wow, Steve knew. But in many ways, that's exactly how I was as well in okay. college. <laughs> I, I wanted to go to law school. But I think so few people are set that early. So I haven't met that many people like yourself who have the similar mindset that are like, yeah, I just knew. But you said something really funny earlier about not really knowing what a corporate lawyer did. Right. I had not. And so did your mentor help close that gap for you a bit? He did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was 
when you think about a corporate lawyer on TV, right? I mean, it's this guy that walks in and they sit down and they have these papers and they're just, you know, just they're just negotiating, right? They're just yelling things back and forth. And, you know, it seems to me they're talking more about like deal terms versus actually like the legal terms, right? That they're negotiating. And so he helped kind of bridge that gap and, you know, certainly introduced me to, you know, what you know, law books would look like, right? And what, you know, case law would look like and how to analyze case law. And those are things that I were just, I was just completely ignorant about. You know, again, it was more for me, just the idea of being a lawyer just seemed very appealing to me at the time. And I did enjoy re- reading and writing. So, and, and like I said, I enjoyed, you know, the business side of things. So it definitely made sense, but I just had no idea. So he certainly helped kind of guide me to let me know what I was going to be prepared for. And e- even with that said, he did a great job of giving me some insight. It still didn't prepare me. You know, I think law school was certainly a different experience for me. All right. So what did the rest of college look like for you? It's pretty much, I'm going to law school. I've found my law mentor. So you finish up. And by the way, I didn't even ask you what your, what your major was. So what did you major in in college? I was a business major. So I had a double uh, emphasis in finance and management. Okay. So you wrap up college and then did you head straight to law school or what was that like? I did, yes. Yeah. So, so I went straight to law school, and um, it, it was a tough but easy decision because I had applied to a number of law schools. And after being in Iowa for four years, my, you know, I was just kind of done with, you know, more urban. I'm sorry, not less urban, more rural area. So, um, I definitely emphasize, you know, major cities for my law school experience. And so, I went to Northwestern. I had an interview with Northwestern. The people so, were so great, and my sister was there. And it just, you know, it made sense, you know, for me to go there. And then I applied to, you know, a number of different schools in the Midwest. One school was University of Kansas, and University of Kansas essentially gave me like a full ride. And they said, you know, we'll, we'll damn near pay you to go to this school. And so for me, like, you know, it was certainly a really tough decision because I said, oh, wow, well, I can come out of KU debt-free, or I could go to Northwestern, incur a lot of debt, but still go to this amazing school. And at the time, I had thought I was going to go back to Kansas City. And so I thought in my head, well, you know, I can go to KU. It's a local school. Everybody knows and respects KU, you know, but I ended up going to Northwestern because, again, I I love the school. My sister went there. One of my dad's really good friends, he was a Northwestern grad, and he had worked for McDonald's for a number of years before opening up his own bakery. And I just, I talked to him a lot, and he really, um, he really helped me, guide me through that process. So I went to Northwestern and, uh, you know, really enjoyed my time there. Wait, I have to stop you, though, because that's a really important decision that you just described, that I have a full ride offer in one place, Mm -hmm. or I can take out loans and go to this other place. And in a way, this may be me putting my, I I, I joke that I sometimes put my director of diversity and inclusion hat on for certain parts of discussions and the other parts of the discussions, it's just me, Alexis, talking about whatever. But we encounter this a lot with, I think, with particularly with diverse law students who law schools are very focused on, or not law schools, law firms can often be very focused on that like name brand, top 10, top 15 law school not realizing that often, and not just diverse students, but, you know, when we're looking at recruiting diverse, diverse law students, the person may have gone to not the top tier because of scholarships or other family-related matters or not knowing how important it is to go to a top school. So I just wanted to stop on that because that was a major inflection point that you just described. I don't know if you have more to say about that. 
Yeah, no, um, no, it's certainly weighed on me heavy because going into undergrad, my parents were definitely of the mindset of like, get scholarships, get scholarships, get scholarships, right? So my parents were very, our family was very middle class, right? I mean, you know, we certainly weren't poor, but we certainly, you know, certainly weren't rich, right? I mean, my parents, like I said, my, my mom was an educator. My dad was a business guy. You know, he made good money. He held down a job. Um, He passed up a number of opportunities to really kind of move up in the ranks of his company because he would have had to travel to different areas. But he wanted to stay in Kansas City. Our family was in Kansas City. We were being raised in Kansas City. So, you know, he declined those other opportunities to stay in Kansas City to, you know, kind of keep the family unit together. And, you know, again, so he made decent money, but he wasn't, you know, certainly, certainly wasn't rich, right? So, and certainly not rich enough to pay for like tuition, you know, at any sort of um, school, whether it was in-state and or out-of-state. So my parents were certainly focused on us getting scholarships, to go to school. So going into law school, I still had that mindset of like, oh, I got to get scholarships, got to get scholarships. And then I had this amazing opportunity to go to Northwestern and some other, you know, really good schools. And, you know, for me at that point, I said, well, you know, I, I've, I've taken care of undergrad. It just seems like an amazing opportunity to go to Northwestern based on what I'm hearing from my sister, what I'm hearing from, you know, one of my dad's best friends. And uh, frankly, you know, I know Kansas City. You know, I know KU. I grew up being a huge KU fan and, you know, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk. Like, you know, we didn't have a professional basketball team. So KU was our professional basketball team in Kansas City. Right. So my thought was, you know, let me do something different. You know, I'm a Midwest guy. I felt Midwest. So I can still stay in the Midwest, but, you know, go to a very larger city and get an experience from, you know, a highly ranked school. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was, you know, it was tough at first, but, you know, the decision became a lot easier as I, as I continued, you know, towards that path. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it worked out well. We're going to talk more about Northwestern, but I think I just want to pause for any law students that are listening or maybe prospective law students that the decision of whether to take out student loan debt or not, nobody can answer for you. But it certainly isn't always the case that going to the school that gives you the most money is the best decision professionally. It's also not the case that it would be wrong to go to the school that gives you the most money. But it is something to definitely think long and hard about. Okay, now tell me about a little bit oh, about Northwestern. And I promise I'll I'll actually remember to ask people about your practice. There's been a couple episodes okay. where I'm like, oh, <laughs> should have asked them about their practice. But um, right. so what's it like the transition to Northwestern? You start law school. Is it all that you thought it would be? No, not at all, actually. So, I mean, North Northwestern was great. And when I first got there, you know, people, you know, are very excited about going to law school, just like any school. And the faculty was great. It was great being in the city also and having all these resources and all this diversity that was around me. And, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, there's just obviously not a lot of Black people in Iowa. So, you know, you see Black people and, you know, you kind of, particularly ones that you don't know, you know, you might kind of nod or wave or, you know, say, you know, hi and, you know, speak and talk to them. And, you know, when I got to Chicago, I kind of just kind of kept that going, but Chicago is so diverse. So there's so many black people, you know, I feel like black people were looking at me like, you know, what, what, what is he doing? You know, so it, You're it, it was to everybody. Hey, hey, nice to meet yeah, you. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, you see people that are, you know, kind of like you and like-minded and, you know, you, you just feel some sort of affinity towards them, I guess. But yeah, so that, that kind of, that went away quickly. But, you know, Northwestern for me, it was, it was interesting because Northwestern at the time prided itself on getting students that had real life working, you know, experience. So I, I think it was 80%, 86% of my class had at least two years or more worth of work experience and something like 96% had at least one year of working experience. And I think the average was like three or four years. So for whatever reason, that just intimidated me. And I thought, okay, wow, these people have like all these amazing experiences and opportunities before they came to law school. And I remember 
remember one of our, during our orientation week, we had this big kind of um, welcome gathering in our auditorium and they were reading off all these cool things people had done before they came to law school. And then one thing that they read out was, and one of your classmates took a golf class his senior year in his undergrad. And that was me. Like that was my like oh amazing my, oh experience was like taking golf class. And I'm thinking in my head like, oh my God. Like, first of all, how did that get in there? Right. And second of all, like. Well, Steve, it's important for you to know we could have been classmates because I applied to Northwestern. Unfortunately, I was waitlisted. And then I do remember once I got into Michigan, I went ahead and withdrew my application. So, so I don't know, but I was someone who went straight through school. So I would have been like you. I don't know what they would have said about me. I don't even right. know if I did anything as interesting as taking a golf class. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but I just, I remember feeling at the time, like extremely embarrassed. I was thinking, oh my God, these people are, they're analysts at Goldman Sachs or, you know, they, they, uh, I think another guy had, you know, had his medical degree and another person was on Teach for America. So just a lot of different and diverse cool opportunities. And you've got me here with, uh, yeah, golf class, his senior year. So. <laughs> so what was that like for you? What was that? transition to law school like if you remember because it was a while ago at this point right, but how did you right. find it I was excited at first, you know, again, you know, my history, I wanted to become a lawyer, right? So for me, this was just the natural progression, in, you know, my career. And so I was definitely excited at first, but just interacting with my classmates and, you know, at the time, right, it just seemed that two, three, four year gap in age for people going out and having that work experience. It just, it, it was a little bit intimidating. And it seemed that people, seemed like people were just much more mature than me in certain ways when it came to actual school itself, particularly because a lot of these folks, they had been working nine to five. So they were used to the grind of a nine to five. And I was still very much on that student schedule. And particularly my last semester in college, right? It's a golf class, right? I mean, I really could have graduated early. So that last semester for me, was really more fun than anything else. So less grinding, less, you know, being super studious as compared to these people that had, you know, work experience and, you know, going to school for them was actually kind of taking a break, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, but they treated it like, you know, they treated it like a job, right? They would go to class and, you know, they would go to the library and they'd be in the library and they go back to class and then they kind of finish out their day in the library and they go home. You know, me, you know, I'm going to class and, you know, I'm going to lunch and, you know, I'm doing some time in the library, but I'm, you know, like a student, I'm just, you know, doing most of my stuff at night when I'm, you know, home by myself. So it was a little bit intimidating from that perspective, but, you know, I quickly learned that regardless of what your background is, you know, you really don't know the law, right? I mean, you could be a paralegal, but like a paralegal for the most part isn't really doing any sort of like case law analysis or anything like that. So, you know, once I figured that out and got that first semester under my belt, it was it, it was pretty good after that. But at first it was definitely a little, little nervous. It's funny, you're actually affirming almost exactly what, so one of the episodes of the podcast, sorry, I don't remember the number, is with another Foley partner who was a doctor in a former life. Uh, Larry Perlman out of our Miami office. Right, and yeah. he talks about having that exact mindset. He's like, I treated it like a job. And I knew Larry and I are good friends in law school. And so I saw him and was like, huh, these these people who've had jobs before seem to be treating this like a job. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Perhaps I should do that too. And you but you go into law school knowing that, or it seems like you knew that corporate was more so your focus, even if you didn't know exactly what that entailed. Did you find yourself taking classes focused on corporate law or did you just sort of try everything? 
Like mostly focused on corporate law. We have at Northwestern this trial advocacy program, and people were, m- most of my classmates seemed very excited about taking that trial advocacy program. And I just, I had no desire whatsoever to do that. I just, you know, for me, I, I'm not, it's a couple of things. One, I'm not really into standing up in front of a jury and, you know, trying to persuade them in my argument, right? That just never seemed really appealing to me. And also, I'm just not a, Personally, I'm not a real adverse guy, right? So, you know, me being adverse to someone and having it be a a somewhat uh, stressful process in which I'm arguing against someone didn't seem like something that was just going to fit with my personality. Um, little did I know that I literally negotiate and argue all day, every day. <laughs> like, that is what I do, you know? You're right. I may not be in court. I may not have to know right. the federal rules of evidence. Right. But there's right. definitely some level of adversarial when you're negotiating terms of a sale or whatever it may be. It is funny you say that, though, because when I have law students come to me and ask about practice area, which I think all practicing lawyers within large law firms. If you ever touch recruiting, likely a law student has come to you at some point and been like, how do I know what area I'm interested in? And I often say that it's hard to tell during, but you will recognize that line later. So for me, it was very clear that litigation was like based on the classes I took, sort of based on how I'm wired. And I'm almost hearing the same thing from you in a way. Certain things just did not spark your interest. That's right. And it's hard to have that fine line between, I want to go find out what it is to make sure I'm not into it versus pushing yourself to do things that just don't appeal to you. And that's that's hard, I think. But to law students out there, you know, I'd really focus on what kind of lights you up? Like what, when you see is offered, are you like, oh, I want to take that? That's probably a little hint as to what your practice area interests may end up being. Absolutely. And for me, it was it was the same thing. It was, you know, taking corporations, it was taking negotiations, it was taking finance, it was taking M&A, it was those types of transactional oriented classes that appealed to me. And so I definitely took, took those classes. I enjoyed those classes. I took a clinic that was based on small business entrepreneurship. And, you know, it basically reaffirmed my suspicion that I wanted to be a transactional lawyer. And I think the good thing is also, I mean, Again, I, I know that I do. There is a little bit of an adversarial process in terms of doing deals, but at the same time, you know, everybody has a common goal, right? You know, somebody wants to buy, somebody wants to sell, right? Somebody wants to lend money, someone wants to borrow money, right? So, you know, there's, you know, there's still the common goal, even though there's a, you know, number of different ways to get there, right? And there's obviously different issues that certain people are going to want to negotiate a little bit heavier because they certainly don't want to take on too ri- too much risk in doing these deals. But, you know, I, I still find that, you know, I, I think I made the right you know decision. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your day-to-day practice. But first, let's discuss how Foley comes on the scene. Is it OCI? How do you find out about Foley and how do you decide to join Foley? Yeah. So, my first introduction to Foley was OCI. Well, actually, let me back up. So I had a good friend of mine who was in my class also, and she um, she, she, she essentially worked for Foley as a 1L summer associate, and she had a very good, in our Milwaukee office, and she had a very good experience. So she had talked up, you know, Foley, you know, just based on her experience. So I knew that, you know, they were a great firm. So I obviously listed them down when I was doing my um, listing of my law firms during the OCI process. And so I had my first first interview with Foley with a uh, gentleman named Liddell George. Oh, yes. I remember Liddell. Yes. Yes. Liddell is great. He's, I still keep in touch with Liddell to this day. You know, he's a mentor of mine. He's just, he's just a great person. So at at the time when I first started interviewing, 
I had this idea that I wanted to be this corporate attorney and maybe I wanted to be this big Wall Street corporate attorney, right? So I interviewed with Foley and, you know, Liddell says, what what offices are you interested in? And I said, well, I, um, I like Chicago. I'm also interested in New York. And so he said, okay, great. And so we go through this whole interview process. And then I, I uh, you know, luckily I get a call back and I get a call back for um, both Chicago and New York. So this is, you know, this is another tip for like law students, like, you know, actually researching your firm is actually very, very important, right? Because at the time when I was going through this process, you know, Foley was, their New York office was very, very heavy litigation. And so we didn't have a real, you know, kind of robust transactional practice. And by the time that I had accepted my offer, I didn't know that, right? And so I started doing research before my callback on the office in particular, I realized, oh my God, they only have like one or two transactional attorneys there. So it's not a really big, robust practice. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Okay, well, I, you know, I've accepted this, you know, offer, or I'm sorry, this callback. Let, let me see how this goes. And so I get there and, you know, the people are great. The people are nice. Like they're very smart. They're very sophisticated. They're down to earth. Like I'm really, you know, I, I really like them. But frankly, I, you know, I, I want to have a robust transactional practice. I luckily get an offer, I get a call, and I'm just honest with them at that point. And I say, listen, you know, I, I I am interested in transactional practice. I was looking for something more robust. And then that's when Liddell George steps in again, and he calls me and says, well, have you thought about our Chicago office? I know you had mentioned it during the interview. And I said, mm, yeah, actually, I, I am, because at that time, I was dating my my girlfriend, now wife, and she's from L.A., and, you know, she wanted to go back to LA, but as we started getting more serious, we thought, okay, maybe we can split the difference in Chicago, right? Instead of her going to LA and me going to New York, maybe we just stay in Chicago, go in the middle. So I, I go to interview with the Chicago office and, and it was just a great experience. And and frankly, one thing that really stood out to me was the level of diversity within the Chicago office. At the time, you had um, Sharon Barner, who was on the management committee. You had Jean Gills, who was... Um, I believe at the time, the vice chair of the IP department. Mm-hmm. You had Jonathan Spivey, who was another black male partner. You had Ladale George, who was another black male partner. There were, you know, three or four other, you know, black associates. Yep. I'm nodding because in a way it was sort of um, a, a heyday for black partners or senior black lawyers at Foley Chicago, because I was around that exact same time. And um yeah, so I know, you know, Sharon now is general counsel at Cummings and right. I actually ran into Jonathan Spivey in Houston. Oh, yeah. At, right. So I joined Foley from Baker McKenzie. I was at like some food court <laughs> with right. a friend and there's right. Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's funny that you should say that because I was thinking about that same thing. And our, you know, our demographics have changed since we don't have as many black partners in the Chicago office. But this was back, this is like 2006, 2007, the time we're talking about now, and now in legal, you know, and then people cared about diversity, but now there's this sort of like fevered pitch where every other article is about diversity, diversity. And so it actually means a lot to me that Foley has had, did have, I guess does have diverse partners at a time where it wasn't front page news. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, I I agree with you 100%. And it was interesting and very helpful to me that these people were willing to talk to me and make the time to talk to me. And, you know, it almost seemed like they were somewhat actively recruiting me also, right? And, you know, given people at um, attorneys at large law firms, obviously, you know, they're busy and their schedules are busy. So them making the time to actually talk to me was very important. And also at the time, you know, 
it seemed to me that Foley was one of the few firms that had this like chief diversity officer position, which at the time was a woman, uh, Maureen McGinnity. And so I was able to, you know, talk with her and, you know, understand more about the firm. And so it was just, it was just a great feeling, you know, like, again, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm a Midwest guy, right? So Foley having those, you know, Midwest roots, you know, being its, you know, oldest office is based out of Wisconsin. It just seemed to align with me um, at the time. So it was just a different feeling, right? And, you know, law students always ask you, well, you know, why did you decide to join Foley? And what's kept you at Foley? And I remember I, I, I had the same question when I was a law student. And people, would, you know, the answer would be, oh, the people. And I always thought in my head, like, that is just such a lame answer. Like, the people, like, what do you... What, yeah. So cliche. Come on. There's people everywhere. Come on. Exactly. Like, you know, do something, you know, give me something better than that. But as I've matured through my career, I realized that, that that's actually a real legitimate answer, right? Because you know, you can get a different feel from different law firms and how, you know, their attorneys behave and how they interact. And, you know, for me, you know, I just felt like I somewhat belonged at Foley, right? Because of the people. Well, it's the truth. When you say it's the people, it's the truth. And now that we have this podcast, people outside of Foley are able to hear from the people. And I think they'll see this common thread of that. It's just like, I really connected with the people. And then I got, so I got Jay Rothman on this um, show. I think he's episode seven for anybody who wants to listen. But when you hear, so he's our CEO. When you hear the way he talks about people, like he literally to me is the embodiment of the Foley philosophy right. when it comes to people. And I, I wish we had a better way to describe it, Steve. We don't. We just don't. You don't. And I again, I thought it was such a lame answer when I was a law student. But like, you know, now that I'm an attorney and a partner at a large law firm, that is the answer I give because it is the truth. And, and frankly, Jay Rothman, to your point, is one of those people, right? I mean, Jay Rothman is an incredibly successful attorney. He's obviously made it to the top ranks. And the thing that impresses me, which permeates, I think, throughout fully for the most part is, you know, he's a very nice guy, right? So you, you, you can be a successful attorney, you can have a successful practice, and you don't have to be a jerk, right? And that's that's just not that's just not me. You know, obviously I can turn up when I need to, right? You know, I'm <laughs> not like, gonna get let's bullied. Be clear. Let's be right, clear. right. I'm not gonna be bullied, right? But you know, I mean, for the most part, I, I just I, you know, I'm not that super aggressive guy in that regard, right? In terms of tone. So it was good to see, you know, people like him and other people that recruited me to the firm have that sort of same sort of mentality, but yet still have very sophisticated matters, right? It's not like the quality the work declined just because these people were, you know, maybe a little bit more friendly than, you know, other people that I had met at other firms. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a rare mix. I mean, I, at this point, I've been lucky, I guess, to work in a number of law firms and everybody has their own culture, their own ethos. But one of the things that attracted me back to Foley was, you know, I had been a summer associate, a good friends and partner here, but I knew that special mix and it, it stuck with me some almost, you know, 15 years later. So I'm going to fast forward with you a bit. You know, you did, did OCI, you summer, but you're sitting here right now as a partner at Foley. So talk to me a little bit about the, the time you've been practicing at Foley, maybe say even more about your day-to-day -day practice. And then let's just talk, I'll, you know, I'll see what I want to follow up after that. But yeah, what do you do now? And just reflections on that. I'd say on a day-to-day -day basis, it's a lot of managing the matters that I'm working on. So, you know, before when I was an associate, you know, coming through the ranks, you know, you as a junior associate in transactional practice, 
you're doing a lot of just organization, right? You're kind of keeping the deal together. You're managing the details. You're doing a lot of the work that requires a lot of hours, right? Because, you know, your hourly rate is a lot lower than some of the senior folks. So you're doing a lot of the due diligence. You're doing a lot of the managing of just the the detail of the documents itself. But now I find myself, the more senior I get, I'm just, you know, it's... uh less of the trees and more of the forest, right? So there's a number of different areas in every transaction that have their own hot button issues. And I'm basically just focused on each one of those hot button issues, right? And I'm making sure that each of those issues get resolved so we can actually get to a closing, right? So we can get to an agreement, so we can get to an arrangement or a point in time that the parties say, okay, yes, we are here. We're comfortable to actually finalize this deal and the parties can go on and, you know, do whatever they do, right? I mean, if it's a commercial transaction, you know, supplier can supply, right? And the purchaser can receive, right? You know, just, you know, for example. So that's what I do for the most part, which is, you know, I'm looking at the high level strategic documents, the definitive documents that are in place, making sure those align up, that they actually match the understanding of the parties, obviously within mind that I'm trying to look out for my client's best interest. And then also, you know, ensuring that all the people that are on the deal team with me are on the same pace and on the same level as me. So that takes shape in a number of ways, right? One, it's a lot of drafting, right? A lot of drafting those definitive strategic agreements. Um, it's a lot of negotiating of those agreements, right? And making, and before even the negotiation, making sure that my client's needs are met within the actual definitive agreement. And then after that, it's just, you know, again, managing the process to ensure that now that we've gotten to, gotten to a place where we're in agreement on the definitive terms that the deal is actually on pace to close by the timeline that the parties, you know, have targeted. So that that's really what it is. It's 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 a lot of again. I'm on the phone a lot, right, mm-hmm. with clients opposing counsel. I'm in the documents. There's calls when you're a, a lot of lawyer. Calls. There's a lot of calls. There's calls. A lot of calls. A lot of calls. And, and frankly, you know, I'm, you know, when I first started at the firm, you know, I was. I was not a call guy, right? Like I was like, you know, let's just, can we just like shoot them an email, right? You know, can we just, you know, like I feel like it's all clear. I just like email people. But actually, as I get more senior, I, I find myself picking up the phone a lot more because I just think it's a lot better to just clearly communicate, you know, what you're doing so you can come to a baseline understanding and then you can reflect it in emails and documents, et cetera. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's a function of, you know, efficiency or me just, you know, turning into some sort of old you know, crotchety partner. I sort of blame the practice area. And it's important for listeners to know as they hear me in conversation with different attorneys, I have a bias. I have a litigation bias. That is the lens through which I was a practicing lawyer. So I always jokingly, but I think lovingly, will sometimes poke fun at my at least former, but it may be current, M&A or transactional colleagues and joke, I don't understand what you do. I know there's calls. I know there's data rooms. <laughs> I right. know there's diligence. <laughs> right. And so um, my very pedestrian understanding still, I'll actually liken a lot of it to, to purchasing a house. Mm-hmm. And I say this for, for the law student who perhaps, you know, maybe has working knowledge less than or equal to my own for what a corporate pr- transactional practice looks like. But that for many individuals is one of the largest things you're going to purchase. And what do you have? You have a closing, you have diligence, you want it to close on time, there's right. funds being transferred. And of course, it's different when you start talking about public companies and large scale. But that is how I still like in different aspects for those who have a transactional practice. And that's real estate and real estate special. So throw that out there too. Right, but for right. anybody who 
who's totally new trying to figure out what practice area is what, it's handling all those aspects of purchasing a large scale, you know, business or thing or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that 100%. I mean, every deal is different. Like every deal, like you would be amazed, like there is really no cookie cutter deal at all. But the actual like process and the procedures and the issues, you know, they, they do sometimes have very common themes, right? So, you know, like you said, you know, there's always kind of the, you know, the intro, middle and the end, right? And each one of those has its own separate unique issues that you have to navigate. But the process, the procedures, they're, they're, they're often the same. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I have two final questions as we begin to wrap up. One is we talked a little bit about, you know, diversity at Foley, Black partners at Foley, but you sitting here now, Black male partner at Foley and Lardner, do you have any comments on just like the support the firm gave you over the past, I think now we're hitting 12 or 13 years, as you had that march to partner, just general reflections on that and what that was like on that path to partnership at Foley? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that one thing that I, I I really enjoy about Foley is their flexibility. Frankly, I started at the firm as a finance attorney. I was in the finance practice group. And when I started in 2008, right, I was extremely busy, right, the very first month. And then literally the first bank fell and I had no work, like absolutely no work for like the next six months. Like I had nothing, like nobody was doing deals, uh, particularly private M&A deals that I wanted to do or the private financing. Great recession. There was no financing. Right. You know, the, the only financing that was happening was, you know, borrowers going into default and trying to redo their agreements, right? And so um, at the time, you know, I although I, was, I came in as a finance attorney, you know, I, I still had an interest in M&A. I sat on the M&A floor. And at the time when you came in as an associate at Foley in our Chicago office, um, when you came in as a finance or a transactional associate, you pretty much got used by both groups, right? Because at that level, you're, you're doing the same sorts of things, right? You're you're managing closings, you're doing due diligence, you're preparing like ancillary documents, like closing certificates, things like that. So I was still, you know, working with both sides, but I was technically a finance attorney. No financings were happening, no M&A transactions transactions were happening, no strategic transactions of anything, you know, were going on at the time. So I was twiddling my thumbs, you know, obviously sitting around waiting to get fired because I had no work, you know, to do. So that was extremely stressful. But one thing that I liked about Foley was, you know, the, the senior people there, you know, they, they tried to reassure the junior associates as much as they could in terms of, you know, hey, it's it's not about you, right? There's really not a lot of work going on right now. You know, two, you know, when the work comes, you know, it'll be there. We're going to need you guys. So, you know, just kind of do what you need to do to, you know, keep yourself busy. Here are some resources and other things, which was great. And then when the work started coming back, I love the fact that, again, Foley was very flexible in terms of letting me, like, do financing transactions, letting me do corporate M&A transactions, letting me do, you know, you know, securities transactions. And so I had a very broad base of experience. And frankly, by virtue of just, I would say, the floor I sat on and the amount of work I was doing, it, it just made more sense for me to switch from the finance group to the transactions group. And again, that was a very seamless transition, right? And I'm not saying that happens, you know, for everyone, but Foley was, you know, they, they, they saw that I was doing a lot of different things and they said, okay, well, it's, you know, probably time for you to start narrowing and specializing your practice area. 
we think these two areas are good for you. What do you think? And, you know, I, I basically told them, you know, M&A transactional work. And they said, OK, good. We agree with you. Right. So it's not like they just said, hey, we really think you should go there. They gave me the option. And I said, OK, well, this is where I think I, I'd like to go. And I was able to, you know, kind of specialize down that area. I mean, having that finance background has become extremely helpful, you know, in my transactional practice, you know, to this day, frankly, having, having that foundational base. But it's things like that, like and, and not even just with the practice area, but the flexibility in terms of sitting on boards, right? Like I sat on the alumni board for my undergraduate institution, which which was, you know, which was a commitment, right? I mean, it wasn't an advisory board. It was it was certainly a working board. And they required, you know, on-site attendance for each of the board meetings, which was, you know, one one time per quarter. So I had to leave, you know, one time per quarter to go to Ames, Iowa and be there for, you know, be there for the first meeting that started Thursday morning and Friday, you know, through the weekend. And then we also had meetings throughout, you know, the quarter also with our committees and whatnot. So, and and that's, you know, for a mid-level associate, you know, you're, you're really starting to understand your practice. People are really putting, you know, a lot of trust in you, a lot of stuff on your plate. And for, for the firm to, you know, be able to say, yes, feel free to, you know, work on these matters outside of just, you know, the day-to-day, you know, grunt work and grind work. I appreciated that flexibility also. So I, I've been able to join, you know, since then a number of different boards and organizations and fellowship programs like the Impact Fellowship Program from the Urban League here in Chicago. And again, those sorts of programs, you know, I think that the firm has said, you know, we are going to allow you to invest yourself in the community because one, we think it's good for you. But, you know, obviously, you know, we think it's good for the firm too, you know, getting exposure. And so I think the firm recognizing that, you know, was, you know, to me, it it was important to me. And I, I appreciate the fact that they allowed me to, you know, have those opportunities and supported me financially, you know, for those uh, opportunities as well. Well, that well-rounded, that Foley really does want and does have well-rounded people. And so they're not surprised when you have other things outside of the firm because most everybody does. And that I don't know if that's always the case. And by the way, you touched on the Great Recession. That could be a whole podcast it really by did. itself. It really could. <laughs> As we were both that junior class, very much affected by that. And one thing I'll say that I find interesting about Foley is really how transparent the firm is with, I mean, frankly, with financials in a way that I have not witnessed at any other law firm, I actually knew more about the financials at Foley as a summer associate than I probably learned at any of the other firms the entire times I was there. But there really is just this, you know, attempt to be as transparent as possible and truly put put people first, even in the face of extremely hard decisions. But I think, you know, for you, having been at the firm for this long, you've seen how that, those values, how they they really I want to say operationalize it. Sorry, that sounds so businessy, but how the firm really walks in those values during very tough times. And that's, that means a lot, but okay. Yeah, I just want to make one point on the transparency. That's a very excellent point. The firm is extremely transparent. And I, I really learned how transparent the firm was by serving on the associates committee, right? You know, the associates committee is a representative body of the associates. You know, you have a couple of associates from like each office that get and it's well together. regarded and the firm right. cares what it says. Right. Not always the case. But no, yes. it's no, it's it's amazing because you know, when I joined this associates committee, right, like we literally have this like three hour meeting with Jay Rothman and Stan Jaspin right, on a quarterly basis, or they're going through like a slew of data, you know, data and information, and they're taking our concerns, and they're taking notes, and it's a lot, you know, it's a real live interactive dialogue with them, and I just remember when I first sat down at one of these meetings, I was thinking, oh my God, this is like a lot of information, like this is a lot of, and like these guys are very busy, and they're really sitting here, and they're, they're soaking this up, they're really interacting with us, they're t- 
taking the, you know, assignments home. They're getting back to us. Like it just seemed like it was so much. And then it was interesting because literally after I joined the associates committee, I would have partners coming to me for information. Right. I'm thinking in my head, like, what, like, why? why are you coming to me, man? Like you're an owner of this business. Like you should know this information. And now that I'm on the other side of the, you know, the partnership, right. I I see why they were coming to me. Right. Because like the people that are on the associates committee, they get the information real time. Right. And they get a lot of it, you know? So, you know, the transparency is, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting the the level of um, information the firm is willing to give out. Yeah. And I, I love it. I describe it as very fully. And when I say that, I mean it in the best way. Okay. So my final question for you, Steve, is this combo of, is there anything else you'd like to add and, or advice and however you would style that to somebody who's in law school on, you know, making it to partner or to prospective lawyer. I don't know. But what are your final sort of takeaway remarks? I say for law students in particular, right, you know, obviously focus on getting, you know, good grades and really trying to understand as much as you can, right? That's obviously important in terms of your future employment prospects. But, you know, for me, I thought that Law school was an amazing opportunity for me to learn, you know, a lot more outside of just, you know, the law, right? I mean, you learn a lot about the law itself, but there's just so many opportunities in law school that you can take advantage of. Like most most law schools have just a different, a ton of different organizations and programs and classes and other opportunities that you can avail yourself of. And I, you know, I think that's really important that you take advantage of those opportunities because, you know, you're, that three-year period, you're, you're not going to get that period, you know, back again. And the first year is a little bit scary, right? Because it's like a different language trying to read, you know, some of this old English case law that you're never going to probably like look at again ever in life. But whatever, you know, once you get kind of past that, you know, that first year, you start getting acclimated past that first semester, you know, I would really take a step back and think, what do I want to get out of this experience, right? Like, what is my law school? have to offer to me? And what are some of the things that I can take advantage of to make this, you know, the best experience I can, right? Because it will go by fast. And I will say that you'll look back at it and say, man, I wish I would have done X, Y, or Z, right? And that's what you don't want to have, right? And I think that I did a pretty good job of taking advantage of all those things. But I think there were a lot of different organizations and opportunities and resources that I probably did not take advantage of that I wish I did. So I think for the law students, you know, try to be as well-rounded as you can. And I know it can seem like it's a lot of stress and pressure and things on your plate, but, you know, I really think you should, you know, be very strategic about your law school experience. Thank you so much. And I think for law students, just that's as easy as it's going to get. It doesn't necessarily get a here once you leave. I mean, it changes. It changes. You're not being graded anymore. But Steve, with that, thank you so much for being on the show. And if someone has comments or questions for you, can they feel free to find you on Foley's website, send you an email? Absolutely. Yeah. Feel free to, you know, look at my bio. Feel free to shoot me an email. Feel free to give me a call. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I try to make myself available, particularly to junior attorneys and law students, people that have questions. I can definitely give you my thoughts based on my experience. I'm happy to do so. Thanks so much, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. 
this podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.